Andy. There are, there are some amazing, uh, amazing uh, buildings, amazing architecture uh, in Paris, if, if you've ever been. Um, uh, it's worth just going just to, to walk along the river and look at some of the amazing uh, buildings. And uh, one uh, that's quite well known is, uh, is this. This is uh, the Les Invalides, and it's, it's one of the most visited uh, buildings in, uh, in Paris, and uh, you can see it's absolutely, uh, absolutely stunning. And so millions of people will go to Les Invalides each year. Uh, and, and there's loads in the museum to see, uh, but the vast majority of people who come to the museum come to see this. Um, and, uh, and there's usually, it's, it's, this was, picture was taken before opening time, so there usually be people crammed in there. Um, and this is the tomb of Napoleon, and it is absolutely spectacular. So, uh, so Les Invalides, the building, so you have this building that's spectacular, that's built then and used to hold, uh, I don't know why we're skipping, hold on, there we go, to hold that. So it, it is stunning to see. And so that looks like wood, um, but those are actually uh, three different types of granite and marble. And so the actual sarcophagus there sitting on top, uh, it, like I said, it looks almost like a cherry-type wood, but it's actually an extremely rare uh, marble. And so you go, and, and people take selfies, and it's a spectacular thing to see. And it's so amazing that you tend to forget that what is inside of that? A, a, a corpse. Yeah, there, there's a dead body inside of that. And you can be so taken with the exterior, you can be so taken with the beauty of the outside that you forget that actually inside of that is a skeleton. It's, it's a dead body of Napoleon. And as, as we come to the Gospel of Mark, um, chapter 7, uh, we're going to talk about something called legalism, and we're going to unpack that in just a minute. But here's the basic idea. The basic idea is... Um, are we more concerned with how we appear on the outside or are we more concerned with who we are on the inside? Now, when I say how we appear on the outside, I'm not talking about our clothing, but, but do we do good works? Do we do the things we do so that others would think something of us, think well of us, or do we do what we do because it's something of the heart? And in fact, um, Jesus is going to refer to the religious leaders in that day. Uh, Jesus says that you are like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And so I nick this from Jesus. Um, that's how Jesus refers to the religious people. He says, you're kind of like Napoleon's tomb. You're this whitewashed tomb. You're beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And we're going to see this principle in just a moment that the truth is, no matter how fancy we make the outside, eventually what's on the inside comes through. What's on the inside will eventually come through. And so we're going to spend just a few moments together uh, looking at this idea of legalism and, uh, and matters of the heart. So I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Mark, chapter 7, and we're going to uh, begin at verse 1. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. 
and, uh, and this, is what, this is what the scripture says for us. Uh, now, there are a couple of groups here, just to remind us. It's going to talk about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. Um, they, they were kind of uh, all about keeping rules and making sure that everyone else kept rules. And they believed that the best way to worship God was by keeping rules, all right? That's the Pharisees. And then you have the teachers of the law. Those would be like the university professors who all they studied was the Old Testament, and particularly the law. That's who these folks are. So let's see what happens. Uh, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gathered around Jesus, and they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. For as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. And Jesus continued, Uh, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you... You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other things like that. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Now listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And Jesus had left the crowd and entered the house, His disciples asked him about the parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside that can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of their body. Now in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come such as sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he kept, uh, he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit, came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, 
and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and true, that these aren't just stories with good meanings, but Jesus, these are uh, real events that happened. Thank you, Jesus, uh, that you have promised your Holy Spirit to us that we might understand your word. And so, Lord, now for these next few moments, as we just look through your teaching here, Jesus, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our minds, that you would give us understanding. Uh, We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that we might be changed By your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, There there is, uh, it's probably hard for us to appreciate the spectacle we just read. Uh, For Jesus, this carpenter from Galilee. Now, um, I I don't know what we would consider um, in England. What might we consider like the Hicks, the Boondocks, the... um, what, we, what would we think? I'm trying to think of how I'm trying to use my British English, but it's failing me. Like someone is just, they're from a part of the UK that they're just a bit backwards, a bit uneducated. Where would that be? Manchester. <laughs> Where, what did John say? Manchester. Yeah. Okay. So this side thinks Manchester. Anyone over here have a, a vote? Okay, well, you know what? Let's just trash Manchester. That's okay. They, they don't mind. Um, uh, th- this would be kind of where Jesus was from. Like, Jesus was from a part of that world that was a bit backwards. It was a bit the country. He, he came from a... Uh, it, listen, listen carefully. This is, this is huge. He came from a working-class family. Like, his, his earthly dad was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. He didn't come from a family that would have had a lot of education. And, and so that's why later they'll say, does anything good from, come from Galilee? Like, isn't this the carpenter's son, Joseph, right? And so here's this man, jo- Jesus, with this background, who is standing toe-to-toe with the religious leaders and the experts in the law. And he's taking them to task. In fact, if you'll remember, if you'll go backwards, when Jesus was 12 and his family had traveled to Jerusalem, do you remember for the Passover? And there's a large family and they're traveling back and all of a sudden they realize who's missing? Jesus. And they go and they find Jesus in the temple at the age of 12. And what is he doing? Do you remember? He's teaching the Pharisees. He's teaching the Pharisees, right? And so here he is again, going toe-to-toe with the religious leaders of the day, and he's, he's taking them to task on legalism. Now, what is legalism? Here's, here's a definition for us. Legalism is the false belief that by following a man-made system of rules and regulations, a person can earn salvation, righteousness, or God's favor. Look at that again. It's a false belief. It is not true. It is a lie. It is the false belief 
that by following man, a man-made system, right? This isn't what God has given us. This is a man-made system of rules and regulations that if we keep these rules and regulations, we can earn salvation, we can earn righteousness, or we can earn God's favor. Now, uh, with the exception of Christianity, every religion in the world would teach that salvation is achieved by keeping rules and regulations. And so, my friend Iftikhar, who is a very devout Muslim, and I respect him for that, he's very serious about his faith, but there are things that he has to do every day. So he has to pray five times a day, he has to fast during Ramadan, he has to give a certain percentage of his income to the poor, Uh, he has to do certain things on a regular basis in the hopes that he will earn his salvation. I asked Iftikhar one day, I said, Iftikhar, man, you are so devout. Like, how do you feel pretty certain that when you die, you'll go to heaven? And he said, inshallah. It means if, if, if God wills it, if God decides. He says, I hope that my, my good will outweigh my bad. That's what I'm hoping on, right? Uh, and, and every other system. So Hinduism with you know, reincarnation, that if, if I'll be a good person in this life, then in the next life, I'll come back as a better person. And then if I'm good in that life, then I'll come back better. But if, if, if I'm not as good in the next life, I might go backwards and, and come back as a dog or a cat. And I'm not being funny. That's what they believe. And so I might come back as an animal. I might, you know, and eventually the goal is to just break out of that system, right? Into nirvana, like I, I get out of that cycle, Right? Every major religion in the world teaches that salvation is, is kept uh, and received by keeping rules. And Jesus comes and says, no. Salvation is not something we earn. Salvation is a gift. Um, let me say to, to uh, many of us who are Christians in the room, I think where we might fall is that we would be quick to say, no, 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 salvation is by grace through faith. But then somehow we might fall into a false belief that we keep God happy and we keep God loving us by doing good things. Right? I've thought that before. Like I've thought, man, I've read my Bible five days in a row. God must love me just a little bit more. You ever thought that kind of way? Or do you know what? I I just haven't prayed in the last couple of days. God must, he must be really out with me. That's legalism. That's legalism, right? And so this is what Jesus uh, is coming against. So let me give you an example of how legalism worked in their day, and this is what Jesus is coming against. So uh, as, we, as we think about the Ten Commandments, right, as we think about the Ten Commandments, the Bible says, one of the commandments says, um, uh, to keep the Sabbath, right, to keep God's special day, to keep the Sabbath, And so uh, they would come up with rules on how to do that. And so one rule the Pharisees came up with was that on the Sabbath, you could not carry more water than was the equivalent to the smallest part on the human body. All right, are you with me? So they didn't have indoor plumbing, right? So if you wanted water, you had to go to a well. Well, they came up with a rule that on Saturday, on the Sabbath, you could not carry water any more than was the equivalent to the smallest part of the human body. And if you did, you were breaking the rule and God didn't love you. So now what's the question for that? 
What is the smallest part of the human body? This is all written down in something called the Talmud. It's, it's, a, Jewish, it's a Jewish book of rules, the Talmud. Anybody want to take a guess? What is the smallest part of the human body? What did you say? Okay, yes, that's exactly right, but it's more specific than that. It's the little toe on what? Yes, one of the babies just said it. The little toe on a newborn baby. Well done, both of you. Now, it sounds silly to us, but that meant on the Sabbath you needed water. You could carry no more, so their, their toes are covered up, aren't they? No, don't, don't, don't do it. How, how big is, is a little toe on a baby? That's how much water you could carry on the Sabbath, right? And so Jesus comes along and begins to speak against this. Now, um, we're not going to spend as much time on legalism trying to earn your salvation because I don't think that's where most of us fall. But I do want us to think about legalism in the sense of doing things to either get God's favor, like God's going to love me more if I do something more, or trying to impress others. Trying to impress others. Trying to impress one another in the church. Like, uh, it might creep into our hearts that we're serving to impress others, that we're doing to impress others. And I want us to look at why that's so dangerous to one another. And so we'll very quickly move uh, through a couple of things. Number one, we see this. When I embrace legalism, I become critical of others. When I embrace legalism, I become critical of others. These things are inevitable, all right? And so uh, look what the Bible says in verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And so what is this thing going on here about washing hands, all right? They had created some rules. We're not talking about like washing your hands after, you know, going to the toilet or or you're about to eat. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about ceremonial washing, right? So if if you go to the, uh, to for example, I know the, the toilets at the Bull Ring or at the Birmingham Airport, they'll always have a section in there where Muslims can wash up. It's separate, and they can do ceremonial washing. It's exactly what the Jews had here. It's this belief that if we do this ceremonial washing, it was much more than just the hands, that that, that will somehow earn us favor with God, okay? Now, Jesus, his disciples don't do this religious thing. They just, they just eat. And watch the assumption of the Pharisees. Look at the verse again. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders? Now, here, here's the point. They're, they're immediately jumping to criticism. They're immediately making an assumption. Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with devout hands? They're, they're just jumping to the assumption the disciples must never keep any of the commands, right? And so they immediately go to becoming critical. Like, they don't ask. They don't ask in a way that's, you know. So it would be like asking, um, so have, has your hair always looked as bad as it does today? Right? Are you with me? Like, like, do you see in the question, there's an accusation, right? We, we would call it in modern days, passive aggressive. 
There, there's an accusation in the question. And so they're assuming, listen carefully, they're assuming the worst. They're assuming the worst. And so what will often happen in legalism is I'll become critical of others. Because if I did just wash up really well, if I am keeping all the rules, then I might become critical of those who don't, right? In other words, if you're not doing as good as I am, there's something wrong with you. And so legalism can often uh, bring us to a critical spirit. Uh, In my experience, not as much here, but certainly in America, uh, sometimes Christians can be the most critical of people. Or let me rephrase that people who profess to be Christians. Sometimes church people can be really, really critical of others, right? Uh, Sometimes we could also, if we're not careful, assume the worst of others. And and yet here, uh, Jesus is going to unpack this for them, right? Uh, but, But when I embrace legalism, I will become critical of others. When I'm doing really well, I'll... Uh, it's easy to criticize others who are not doing as well. Uh, secondly, we see this, that uh, when we embrace legalism, I will become critical of others. But secondly, when I embrace legalism, I will become a hypocrite. I will fall into hypocrisy. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus says that you're hypocrites. You say one thing, but you do another. You say one thing, but you do uh, another. The the word hypocrite there uh, means simply, uh, sorry, and in the Greek, it means an actor who pretends to be a character to wear a mask. It's, it's the, word, the word hypocrite was a word they would use in the Greek theater. And it's someone who wears a mask. And so if, if you've ever seen maybe at, uh, at a theater, you'll see the, the classic two masks, one with a smiley face and one with a frown, right? And so in Greek plays and acting, they would l- literally use masks. And to show these emotion, they would hold the mask up in front of their face. And so they might be holding up a happy face, but you don't know what's behind the mask. Or they might hold up a sad mask, right? That's where we get the word hypocrite. The word hypocrite means to wear a mask. And the mask that they were wearing, that the religious leaders were wearing, was a mask that made everyone think they were super religious, that they were super good people. And Jesus says, yet you are Hypocrites, And then he gives a really specific example. Look at your Bible. Uh, look down at your Bible on your table and uh, look at verse 11. But you say that if anyone declares that they might have, uh, that, that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Jesus gives a really specific example. And so this Corbin was uh, a way that you could designate money for the, the, the temple, for the religious leaders. And so you could say, I'm going to, you know, maybe I have 10,000 pounds in savings, 
like I sold, I sold a house, and we made 10,000 pounds. I have 10,000 pounds, right? And so I'm going to declare it Corbin, which means that it's going to be given to the religious leaders. But here's the system. I don't have to give it all at once. I can give a little bit at a time, and I can kind of spend it along the way, and it's okay as long as a big chunk of it ends up with the religious leaders. That's Corbin. And so the religious leaders came up with this system because they saw it as a win-win. It would get money for them, and it would give others a way of not having to give their money to charity. And so look what he says here. He says, instead of taking care, so I've got 10,000 pounds, and I have elderly parents. Let's say I have an elderly mom and dad who can't work, and they can't afford their medicine, they can't afford groceries. Now, the Bible would say, honor your father and mother. The Bible would say, I take that 10,000 pounds, and I use portions of it to take care of my mom and dad, right? But what Corbin could do is say, you know what, I don't want to do that because my parents are old and they're going to die and I'm going to lose all that money. Instead, I'm going to set it aside for the church, for the religion, and then actually I don't have to help my parents and I can spend it on myself. And here's the thing. The religious leaders are the one who came up with it. And so Jesus used this, he uses this example to say, you are hypocrites because instead of doing what you're supposed to do, which is uh, honor your father and mother to take care of them, instead of doing that, right, instead you're taking the money and spending it on yourselves, but you as the religious leaders, you give people permission to do it. And so you are hypocrites, he says. You're hypocrites. And so uh, for you and I, here's the thing. Uh, Have you ever heard the phrase, you know, those who live in glass houses should never throw rocks? (coughs) Right? Those who live in glass houses should never throw rocks. Point is is this, like, and I want to be careful about judging others for their sins because you know what? I'm full of sin myself, right? I, I was reading just this weekend where... The woman is caught in the very act of adultery, the Bible says, and she's brought to Jesus, and, and they're, they're ready to stone her to death. And, and the Bible says that Jesus kneels down and he writes in the dirt, and the Bible doesn't tell us what he writes. I, I would love to know, because whatever he writes in the dirt, when they read it, uh, they begin to drop the stones. And then Jesus kneels down again, writes a bit more, and when he looks up from riding in the dirt, everyone's gone. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? He says, they're gone. He says, then there's no one to accuse you. Go and sin no more. Right? He who is without sin, Jesus says, do what? Cast the first stone. Jesus says, you know what? If you want to condemn this woman for adultery, that's fine. But I need the person who's perfect to throw the first stone. And, and sometimes... Sometimes I may not physically do that, but sometimes in my mind and heart I might. Sometimes I might be critical of other people in my mind and heart. Sometimes I might be judgmental of other people in my mind and heart. The reality is, how can I judge others? How can I be critical of others if I really know the wickedness of my own heart, right? If if I really know the, the wickedness of my own evil thoughts and my own evil desires, how could I ever throw a stone at anyone else when I know actually I'm the one who deserves to be judged? And so when I'm willing to throw rocks at others, 
but not acknowledge my own sinfulness, I am a hypocrite. I'm wearing a mask, right? And so legalism will, will, will lead us down this road of being critical of others. It will lead us into hypocrisy. But then we see this, that when I embrace legalism, I will be overcome with sin. When I embrace legalism, I will be overcome with sin. Jesus is really specific, and he says this, that Jesus went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And so Jesus says that that when we embrace legalism, we will become overcome with sin. Because watch, when we become more concerned with our outside appearance than with our heart, our heart will reveal who we really are. Jesus says from the the heart, the, the mouth speaks. Jesus says that what's in our heart eventually it's like a volcano. You cannot contain it. You cannot push it down. Eventually, what is in my heart will come out in my words and in my actions. It just will. It just will. I, uh, Saturday, we were, we were doing some work around the house, and have you ever had the joy of, of slamming your big toe into, like, the corner of a table? And the table's been there for, like, 10 years, and you're trying to yell, who put this table here? And it's always been there, right? And your toes throbbing. You ever been there? And so that happened to me Saturday. And um, and and uh, what came out was I did like a lot of praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to the Lord. And Christy was like, well, maybe the Lord um, lets you do that to your toes so you would know that there was only good things in your heart. Then the ugly stuff came out of my heart towards Christy when she said that. So it wasn't as good as I thought, right? But listen, when we're under stress, when we don't get what we want, when we're injured, not, not just our big toe, when someone hurts our feelings, when someone frustrates us, when things don't go to plan, when people don't live up to our expectations, when people don't do it the way we would have done it, when people do things we don't agree with, when people do things we do not like, when people uh, just do things that annoy us, we will find out what's in our heart. Is that true? We will find out what's in our heart, and we can't contain it. And so Jesus says, look, instead of trying to keep these silly rules about, you know, the the pinky toe of a baby and all these weird, crazy things, he says, be more concerned with making sure that your heart is right with God, that your heart is pure and blameless. And here's the thing. We, and this is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Because the manger makes no sense without the cross. The manger makes no sense without the cross. Jesus came to die and raise to life so that our hearts might be made pure, that we might be born again, that we might be sanctified. Because the reality is, I can put on a good show on the outside, but I cannot cleanse my heart on the inside. I just can't. And the Bible says the heart is wicked. Who can know it? The heart is what I don't even understand the wickedness of my own heart, right? Uh, It's wicked. Who can know it? And so how then can we be washed on the inside? And it makes me think of that wonderful old hymn, 
What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? It's it's the death, burial, and resurrection. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ raised to life. It is him and him alone that can give me a new heart. The psalmist says, he took my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. Amen? And so we want to be cleansed from the inside. We're not cleansed by ceremony. We're not cleansed by tradition. We're not cleansed by any kind of religious ceremony that we attend. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus and asking him daily, Lord, this day, would you, would you give me a clean and pure heart? I confess my sins and you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. That is a promise. And so we wake up and the first words on our mouth are, Jesus, this day, give me a pure heart. This day, help me not to wear a mask. This day, help me to be real, Jesus, and cleanse me. And the last words we speak before going to bed is, Jesus, would you forgive me and cleanse me and purify me? Jesus, he alone gives us a clean and new heart, and he does it every day. But when that doesn't happen, we will become overcome with sin. We see a final thing, and it's this. That when I embrace legalism, not only uh, will I become critical of others, I'll fall into hypocrisy, I'll be overcome with sin. But finally, when I embrace legalism, I'll just miss out on knowing Jesus. I'll just miss out on knowing Jesus. And look what it says here. And I, I just put all the verse, verses 1 through 23. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. And just stop right there and just just feel the weight of, of, of what they've missed. I got thinking about this this week. These, these, these teachers of the law, the law was the Old Testament, yeah? And they were experts in it. I mean, uh, Genesis to, to Malachi, they, they knew all of it. They were experts in it. And here standing before them is the Messiah, God's anointed. Standing before them is God's king from the lineage of David. Standing before them is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Standing before them is the lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. Standing before them is the living word of God who fulfills every prophecy in the Old Testament. Everything they've studied their whole life about stands before them and they miss it. They miss it. Can you imagine? They miss it. Their king, the Messiah, the Son of God, face to face, and they miss him because they're more concerned with man-made rules. I wonder how many times I miss out on knowing Jesus. Because I'm more concerned with rules. And I'm more concerned with outward appearance than I am with knowing him. And so, Jesus, then, we have this amazing account of this woman. And, and Mark gives it to this, this contrast. This woman comes to Jesus, and her little girl is demon-possessed. 
And Jesus says, listen, you, you, don't, you don't give food to the dogs. Food's for the children. She says, yeah, but, but even, the, even the dogs get the scraps that fall from the table. Say, what is going on here? This is weird stuff. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. He's saying the children are the Jews. Like, I've, I've come for my people, the Jews. And you're a Gentile. And she says, yeah, but, but, but even the dog. Now, the word dog here, they have two words for dog in the New Testament. One is kind of your mangy street dog, and one is a puppy in the house, right? The word here is a puppy in the house. It's part of the family, right? Uh, but, but you feed the humans before you feed the puppy, right? Here's what, so, so Jesus isn't condemning her. He's not being mean in any way. But, but look at her. She is not concerned with outward appearance. She's not concerned with what anyone thinks of her. And she says, that's fine. Uh, You can categorize me as a puppy in the house uh, as long as I know you, Jesus, and get what only you can do. Jesus says, go. It's done. Right? So You have the Pharisees and teachers of the law who should know who he is, and they miss him because they're more concerned with what's on the outside. You have this woman who he didn't come for her people and she has no concern for all the outside. She gets the very thing she needs from Jesus. I believe the lesson that Mark is then giving us is this, that there's something about humility and desperation that allows us to know God in a way that rules and tradition never will. Humility and desperation will enable us to know Jesus in a way that rules and regulations never will. Uh, the reality is, that we can keep all the rules, we can go to church every time the doors are open, and we can miss out. The Old Testament word is Ichabod. means the glory has departed. We can miss out on God, keeping all the rules and regulations. Uh, I don't know what groups might qualify here in the U.K. In, in America, we would have several. One in our community would be uh, a group who believes that women... Uh, always have to wear dresses, always have to have their hair up, can't wear makeup, that men always have to dress a certain way. Uh, I'm not talking about Amish. I'm talking about this is for church. Uh, can't sing any songs that have a drum beat, all, all these rules and regulations. There's several of these churches in the part of the world where we're from. And I remember, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I can remember thinking, if that's what it means to be a Christian, no thank you. Because it seems like all they care about is keeping rules, and they are the most miserable people in the world. Because keeping rules brings no joy. Because in your heart, you know, you can never really keep them. But real joy doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. That's knowing and loving Jesus. So let me ask you, where would you find yourself maybe falling into legalism? Are there times that maybe you find yourself being critical of others? How do you respond when people in the church don't do things the way you would do them? How do you respond when people don't do what you want them to do or you think they should? How desperate are you for a clean heart? Do you ever wear a mask to work? Do you ever wear a mask to the Sunday gathering? Is there an area where maybe the Lord would want to set you free and speak grace to an area of your life where you've 
than trying to hold yourself or hold others to an unrealistic expectation. And Jesus would want to come and speak grace and speak peace into that. I would encourage you to bring that before him today. Know the freedom, freedom in Christ. He has come to set the captives free. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. And Jesus, thank you that you did not come to earth to bring a new set of rules. You did not come to earth to bring ten new commandments. Jesus, in fact, you said all of the Bible can be summed up in two things. That we would love the Lord our God with with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we would love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the standard. That's it. But Jesus, even those two simple things, we would confess we cannot do in our own strength. We cannot do in our flesh. So Jesus, we pray and ask that you would Help us to love you in that way. Help us to love others in that way. Jesus, I would pray that if there are areas in our heart and in our life where we've become legalistic, maybe holding ourselves up in a way that we know is not real, maybe expecting things from others that we, Lord, have no right to to expect, or maybe being critical of others instead of extending grace and mercy. Jesus, maybe we find ourselves wearing a mask, trying to get others to think we're one thing when in our heart we know we're another. Jesus, I just thank you that you did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through you the world might be saved. Lord, you have come to set the captives free. And so, Jesus, thank you that we don't have to be bound to legalism. We don't have to be bound to rules and regulations to please you. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, we don't have to hold others to unrealistic expectations. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to compare ourselves to others. Jesus, you've set us free from all of that. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for freedom that you give us, Jesus. And just pray that you would free us from the bondage of all these things, that we would know what it means, that we would be set free, that we would know what it means to serve you with a full heart, a heart full of love and peace and joy. Lord, we love you. We ask that you do these things for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name.